All right. Good morning, church. Um, we're still in our series called Strangely Dim, um, where we're looking at the actions of Jesus and see his heart and desire for us through them. So today I wanted to take a closer look at Jesus' intentional rhythm of spending time in the Garden of Gethsemane and look at the invitations in it for us as environments for deeper connection. This rhythm of Jesus um, where he spends time in the garden is really broadly spread over all the gospels. So we might be looking around a lot, but you will see the scripture on the screen. Before we get started, let me pray. God, we just submit um, this morning to you. We submit our time to you. We ask that you would teach us, that we would draw closer to you as you're drawn closer to us. Fill us with, with um, yeah, your love and your peace and fill our homes with your spirit today that we would be able to hear what you are telling us, what we are sensing. Um, give us eyes to see and hearts to hear. Pray this in, in your name. Amen. Um, I'm going to start in Luke chapter 21, verse 37. I'm going to read the verse right now. Um, each day, Jesus was teaching at the temple, and each evening, he went out to spend the night on the hill called the Mount of Olives. The rhythm that I want us to focus on from this verse is the rhythm of him spending time, his evenings times um, at the Mount of Olives. It's something that he would do very regularly. He would spend a time in the specific environment of the garden. Luke contrasts the rhythm of spending the time in the garden with the rhythm of him as he's in Jerusalem spending time on the temp in the temple where he's engaging with the, t with the people. He would engage with them at the temple, and then he would go and spend the night and the evening at the Mount of Olives. Now, what we need to know here is that the Mount of Olives is, first of all, just right opposite of the Temple Mount. You can actually see the Mount of Olives from the Temple Mount, and you can see the Temple Mount from the Mount of Olives. They're very close to each other. Um, it, was con uh, it was called the Mount of Olives because it had olive trees spread all over that place. And actually, actually, it's not just a mountain, it's actually a mountain ridge that was right next to Jerusalem. But as we will see, there was a specific and important environment on that Mount of Olives that Jesus would use in, in a few different ways to draw closer with his disciples and with his father. Here's how John 18.1 defines this environment for us. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. And on the other side, there was a garden. And he and his disciples went into it. So let's stop here for a second. I'm going to pull up a map and we're going to follow Jesus' step. Because I think this is actually really cool for us to see. Jesus prayed the prayer that John mentions in the upper room with his disciples in Jerusalem. You see that location at the bottom of the map. It's indicated by a red arrow. From there, we follow the red line. He crosses the Kidron Valley, and then he goes to the Mount of Olives. As you see on the map, the Garden of Gethsemane, which is on the Mount of Olives, is the garden that John actually talks about. So when Luke said that he would spend his evenings on the Mount of Olives, contrasting it to his days at the temple, Luke actually says that he would spend his evenings and nights at this specific garden. Now, John 18.2 follows up and says, Now Judas, one of his disciples, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. 
So what John and Luke are essentially saying are the same thing. Jesus' rhythm was to go and spend time in the Garden of Gethsemane. Matter of fact, him and his disciples went there so often that Judas, after he went out and talked to the high priest to betray Jesus, he knew where to find Jesus and his disciples. So here's the point. Luke and John make it clear that being at the garden was an established rhythm for, of Jesus. He would go there to the garden at night after long days of teaching at the temple, and he would spend significant time there alone and with his disciples. So Lisa, with this question, what did the garden then actually signify in Jesus' life? Why was this an environment that he sought out often? What did it mean to him? And what, what can we learn from that environment that played a role in Jesus' life and in his relationship to God and his disciples? The first thing that we will notice is that the garden was an environment of learning. For that, in order to understand that part, let's look at Mark chapter 13. I'm going to be reading verse 3. There it says, Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter, James, John, and, asked, uh, and Andrew asked him privately. So the garden was a place and an environment for conversations in a more private or intimate setting. Now, for Jesus, private conversations didn't mean that this is just a place for like some unfiltered talk. It wasn't the like, let's be honest conversation that was happening there. You see, earlier in the Gospel of Mark, Mark talks about a hugely important and uh, a point that we need to understand because he's pointing out two different communication styles that Jesus was using. Here's what Mark 4 verses 33 and 34 talk about. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them, to the crowds, as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. So what we see here is that the way he communicated with the crowds and when he was engaging with the people at the temple was through parables. He used a communication style, not just randomly. Um, Mark actually points out that he used this communication st style so that they could understand. Or another translation says, um, as they were able to hear it. Now, what that means is that parables were right there at that level, that commitment level that the crowds had to Jesus, which was more of a level of curiosity about Jesus, what he might do or might bring. You see, a parable was kind of more of a stimulating, was more stimulating to the listener without giving them too much responsibility with deeper spiritual knowledge or an, like an immediate need to, to commit to what Jesus is saying. Now, when I say the garden was an environment of learning, here's what I mean. Mark says that when Jesus was alone with his disciples, he was talking to them more privately. And what, he, what that means is that he explained to them everything. He didn't hold back. He explained to them everything. He was, he was kind of like in our modern language, what we would say, he was giving away his trade secrets. He would, um, he would not hold back. He would, he would um, speak to them what usually is, is recorded behind closed doors at those very important meetings that people have. He is teaching his disciples everything because he really wanted to get them who he was and what he was sent to do. 
Here's how one commentator puts it. In the private instruction which Jesus gives to his disciples, the mystery of the kingdom as present in his person is graciously unveiled. So Jesus was not just teaching them important things. Jesus was unveiling some of the mysteries of the kingdom to them in words and in the way that he was behaving and the way he embodied himself. The garden was the environment for such learning for the disciples and for such teachings for Jesus. It was an opportunity for them to dive deep into everything and to hear the absolute unfiltered truth. Jesus could do that because his disciples have already made a decision for him. They decided to follow him and were serious about their, about their following and about his teachings. And Jesus hasn't stopped revealing himself. He is teach, still teaching his disciples today. But what we need to understand is that the learning is kind of different than what we expect it to be. It's not that intellectual kind of learning. It's learning about how to live life in the fullest intent that God has for us and for others. It's a learning where the learned is sinking into our hearts, into our DNAs, into our course and who we are. You see, it's, it's a formational learning that leads to transformation of the whole body, of the whole self. The goal of a learner is to become more and more like the person who he learns from. As a, and as Christians, we have made the decision to learn more from Christ and to become more like Christ together with others who were also pursuing the same goal of learning. And that is what a disciple does. You see, the garden was a learning environment for the disciples to freely ask questions. Sometimes in our mind, even maybe stupid questions. It was an environment for them to practice and to fail what they learn and hear. We see that happening in one specific example. Um, at Jesus' betray in the garden, um, the soldiers and the high priest and some other people come to, um, for Judas to point out Jesus to them. And um, Simon Peter gets actually so upset that he draws, draws his sword and he cuts off the high priest's servants. This is all happening in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus uses this moment as a teaching moment to teach Simon Peter and say, this is not how we're supposed to act. You see, we need to see that the kind of learning with Jesus is not just this, this classroom style of teaching. It is more of like a, like a gym kind of learning where, where we have grace and where we have humility present too. And the garden was such an environment for the disciples and for Jesus. And I think that we all long for that place, a place where we can let our guards down, where we don't feel judged, and where we can freely learn, where we can be challenged, where we can be confronted, and we can be really, really wrestling with what scripture is saying and that how that impacts our own lives, our hearts, who we are. And I'd say that some of us have found this in community groups or other groups that they are part of. But I want you to think, what, what are your environments of learning? Where, where do you learn and, and who do you learn from? Because remember, what what who you learn from shapes you and who you are becoming. So I want you to think, do we foster and seek environments 
of really learning the depth of Jesus's teaching. Where is this happening for us today? Besides the garden being an environment of learning, the garden was also an environment of intimacy. Jesus' daily rhythm of teaching the temple was exhausting. Um, I think we can all relate to that, right? Um, Days are exhausting, working is exhausting. And for him longing to be refreshed, he returns to the garden, which was an environment for him to seek out his father. John 1.18 describes Jesus as being eternally in the bosom or lap of the Father. So naturally, Jesus would seek out an environment where he could continue to seek the Father. We see Jesus seeking out time with God throughout the gospel in various places. And the Garden of Gethsemane was that place for him in Jerusalem, a place for him to recharge, to spend time with the Father in prayer and solitude and silence and through scripture. He was fostering their oneness. Here, he was able to deeply connect with God. He was able to wrestle with him, ask him questions, and gaining clarity about God and and himself. Now, if Jesus needed intimacy, a disciple needs to seek intimacy with God as well. You see, in order to learn from someone, a relationship is necessary. In order to have a good and deep relationship with someone, intimacy is necessary. So what does intimacy mean? As a German, I always like to learn these words. And so naturally, when you hear the word intimacy connected in the Christian language, you look in the Bible, it's like, well, what does that mean so I can find the German translated word? Well, when I looked up in the Bible, I actually couldn't find it. I couldn't find the word intimacy in the Bible. But you see, as as humans, what intimacy describes is this deep, deep desire to be fully known, fully loved, and fully accepted. Being intimate with God means finding that feeling, those feelings met. St. Augustine of Hippo describes this well when he says, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Intimacy with Jesus means unfolding ourselves and letting ourselves be known fully by God to receive the fullness of what he has to offer. It is to find rest in a restless world so that we can live off of that rest, share it with others, and invite others into that experience. An environment for intimacy is an important aspect for us as disciples today. It is following Jesus' teaching in John 15, 5, that he is the vine and that we are the branches. So we are joined into him as he's connected to us in a relational intimacy. And it's only then that we can bear the fruit in this world that Jesus wants us to bear and that we desire to bear. That is the environment that we are to create for ourselves and that we are to seek out. So what are the places that you feel closest to him? Where can you unplug from the world and directly plucked into the refreshing stream of living water that Jesus has to offer? Where is it that you can receive from him in silence and prayer and solitude and through scripture? Do you have such a place? Is a place in mind? You know, I do want to point out that today we're living just in very challenging time because we are constricted to our homes. We have to stay at home. And our own home has become a place so much more than just a home. 
And because of that, I think it's even more important for us to foster and establish an environment to seek intimacy with God and allow God to show up. All of this is bringing to mind the concept of the prayer closet that Jesus talks to in Matthew 6, encouraging us to create a physical environment for intimacy in our own home. Um, my good friend Dave McKinney, fellow minister on staff, has been amazing in holding a space for me like that, where I'm able to just encounter Jesus in a way that I've never really encountered him before by using this Emmanuel of prayer approach. You know, it's in those times that I've just seen such an intimate time with Jesus where Jesus shares so deeply and profound things with me that have been just bringing comfort, refreshment, and just clarity in my life. And then physically speaking, I've been finding myself at this specific table on my, uh, a specific chair on my uh, uh, dinner table that has just been, kind of become this place where I, where I can slow down where I can just sit, where I can observe my son playing, where I, I, I find Jesus kind of in my thoughts, where I can pull up my, my devotional and my Bible and just read and just contemplate God's goodness. Now, before we move on into exploring the last point of what this garden was for Jesus, I kind of wanna, want you to think that, um, that garden is, is kind, of, kind of a hyperlink for something. There's something connected to the garden. When we think of gardens, we have to think of gardens in the Bible, and specifically the first garden. God first created mankind and put him in a garden. And it's in that garden where God walked among them. That garden was the environment of, um, where humanity experienced the closest intimacy with God that a human could ever experience. And it's also the place where the fall happened, where the consequences of Adam and Eve disobedience um, to not listen to God happened. Now, the gospel actually portrayed Jesus in the garden at a different place that we're entering into to be the better Adam, to be the better Adam and Eve. You see, where Adam and Eve were disobedient to God's commands and plans for their life. Jesus was in agony and pain, but was obedient to what God had planned for him and for mankind. God's plan was a plan of redemption for all of humanity out of a self-sacrificial love. And this experience of Jesus took place in the same garden and that leads us right into this last aspect of an environment that, that the garden was for Jesus and that we need to be aware of as well. You see, sometimes these environments of learning and of intimacy turn into an environment of pain, of frustration, of fear, and for Jesus as one of agony. It's the same environment that fosters formation and refreshment for Jesus is the same environment that he enters into one of the hardest times for him as a human being. Let me draw that out a little bit for you by reading Mark's words in, four, in chapter 14, verses 33 through 36. Here, Mark describes what happens in the garden right before he was betrayed and right before he was entered, entered over to eventually be crucified. Here's what he says. Jesus began to be greatly distressed and troubled. 
And he said to them, to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. He fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. The garden and environment of joy and intimacy becomes the place where Jesus struggles to accept God's plan for his life. Here, Jesus pleads with God in a very intimate way to not let him go down the road of suffering, if possible. He says, if there's a way out, please. But what he's met with is silence. And as Jesus encounters pain and suffering, so we will encounter pain and suffering in these environments that we create for ourselves. Places of joy and intimacy will simultaneously be environments of disappointment and pain. Friendships, groups of people that we've poured into, that we've been connected with, and that we've enjoyed become places of betrayal and pain. Now, the garden was such an environment for Jesus on his journey to his cross, to the cross, where he was experiencing the joy of friendships, the connection with others and the Father, and the pains of suffering of life. That's what Jesus modeled for us. That's what Hebrews is talking about when Hebrews describes him as, uh, as Jesus, the great high priest who we have in Jesus, who is able to empathize with all of our weakness, who has been tempted in every way, just as we were, whose way of human suffering began in this garden all the way to the cross. Hanging on the cross, he cries out, Father, Father, where are you? Why have you abandoned me? To ultimately be raised in another garden, in the garden tomb, having overcome death and being victorious on the cross. Creating an environment like the garden was to Jesus and spending our time there is a rhythm then that we should model our lives after. I think this message is a really important message for us to wrestle with. In a time like this, where we are all forced to be home because of, the, of a virus, but then we're also staying home because we are, we are in a heat wave, and now we also have on top of that smoky air and ashes, um, and on top of all of this, home has become so much more than just our home. We need to foster an environment where we can be with Jesus. And that is really, really important. You see, when homes become the place for you to worship, when they become the place that you work at, when they become the place that you then also have community at, the place that you date at, the place that you work out at, and the place that you make food at, and all these other things that, that one place has become, finding our garden environments where we, we can meet Jesus is of utter importance, whether it's been our home, in any outside areas, or via online communities. Learning from Jesus and be intimate with him so that at days of agony and suffering, we can re return to him and be met by him is of utter importance for us Christians in these days. Jesus always waits for us with open arms, and he welcomes our desires to learn from him, to meet him, and to be with us in our pain and suffering, 
in an environment of our own personal gardens. I want to close today with um, a prayer that Dietrich Bonhoeffer prayed every morning for himself and for his fellow prisoners as he was in prison awaiting the outcome, which was ultimately his, his death um, in the last days of World War II. I'm going to pray this prayer in German, um, but it's also going to be on the screen in English. Gott, zu dir rufe ich am frühen Morgen. Hilf mir beten und meine Gedanken sammeln. Ich kann es nicht allein. In mir ist es finster, aber bei dir ist Licht. Ich bin einsam, aber du verlässt mich nicht. Ich bin kleinmütig, aber bei dir ist die Hilfe. Ich bin unruhig, aber bei dir ist Frieden. In mir ist Bitterkeit, aber bei dir ist die Geduld. Ich verstehe deine Wege nicht, aber du weißt den rechten Weg für mich. Vater im Himmel, Lob und Dank sei dir für die Ruhe der Nacht. Lob und Dank sei dir für den neuen Tag. Lob und Dank sei dir für alle deine Güte und Treue. In einem vergangenen Leben. Du hast mir viel Gutes erwiesen. Lass mich nun auch das Schwere aus deiner Hand hinnehmen. Du wirst mir nicht mehr auferlegen, als ich tragen kann. Du lässt deinen Kindern alle Dinge zum Besten dienen. Herr Jesus Christus, du warst arm und elend, gefangen und verlassen wie ich. Du kennst alle Not der Menschen. Du bleibst bei mir, wenn kein Mensch mir beisteht. Du vergisst mich nicht und suchst mich. Du willst, dass ich dich erkenne und mich zu dir kehre. Herr, ich höre deinen Rufen und folge. Hilf mir. Heiliger Geist, gib mir den Glauben, der mich vor Verzweiflung und Laster rettet. Gib mir die Liebe zu Gott und den Menschen, die allen Hass und alle Bitterkeit vertilgt. Gib mir die Hoffnung, die mich befreit von Furcht und Verzagtheit. Lehre mich, Jesus Christus erkennen und seinen Willen tun. Amen.